0: Powerful story. What God has done in Jill and Steve's life is exactly what we want to talk about. You know, uh, Jamie has been spending the first part of this year setting us up to help change the culture here at Scottsdale Bible from people who think that, you know, we just come and we get our little fix. Uh, spiritual fix and then we go on with life as usual. No, we want to, we want to transform. Uh, we want to see our congregation transformed into a front lines, excited, passionate uh, bunch of believers. And one of the areas he talked about was service and, and, and that, that you have to not only serve, but yet it helps to identify your, 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 um, your spiritual gift. Now, with that in mind, I, w- I want to kind of draw an analogy here because It's real easy to think that you have to have the gift of something in order to be um, called on to do it. Are you paying attention right now? Are you paying real close attention? What if this comes at you? Are you ready? Let's see. How about that? How about that? Now, did you and I talk beforehand and say, be ready, I'm going to throw a ball at you? No. 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 So how is it that without foreknowledge, I just pull a ball out, throw it at him, and he catches it? By the way, nice one hand. How is it he can do that without being forewarned? It's because when you were a little boy, somebody threw a ball at you several thousand times to where you got to where you didn't even have to think about it. A ball comes, boom. So, and I bet you if we handed a ball, we could all play catch here because that's a basic skill that we develop to take on life. But there are some people that have balls coming out they need a little more skill. Watch this. There you go. Getting you in the spirit here because they're going to start cracking the batter here pretty soon in the valley. Look at that. Another one. Catch this thing. These are professional baseball players, obviously. They are very rare because what they do is extraordinary. They have a skill that we just exchanged here, but it is ramped up to the ionosphere. They're so rare. You you know you have to go through a million men just to find one guy that can play like that? That's why we pay them so much. Because they, they just don't grow on trees. And, and these are extraordinary people. Now, it's real easy to take the same mindset in our spiritual life when it comes to what God calls us to do and what we're supposed to be uh, stepping forward to uh, help at. And what I want to do today is give you the secret. I want to share with you the secret of the, uh, of how to have the most intimate and passionate and heart relationship with God you could ever imagine. Let's use evangelism as an example. Now, we know that the Bible uh, says that we need to get the gospel out. But it's real easy to think, well, I have to have the spiritual gift of evangelism to do that. And when we think of people with the spiritual gift of evangelism, who comes to mind? Well, obviously, Billy Graham comes to mind and Luis Palau. And when these men get up and share the gospel, thousands of people accept Jesus. And so we would think, okay, well, when, when it comes to evangelism, we'll just try and pray that a lot of people go to their, to their events and their festivals and they'll come to Christ. But the problem is, Billy Graham and Luis and all the people with the gift of evangelism put together only maybe reach 8 to 10% of the lost people in the world. Who's responsible for the rest of them? We are just because you don't have the gift some extraordinary major league type spiritual gift doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be ready to do what's called for in a given moment what about mercy when you think of mercy who comes to your mind who is the epicenter the the almost the patron saint of mercy in in the last century mother teresa This sweet little waif of a lady went into the poorest of poor in India and she loved with an unending love some of the people that were the toughest to love and the greatest need. Now we have somebody in our own valley that has a similar heart for the poor, Kit Danley. And Kit Danley and her husband Wayne started Neighborhood Ministries and they reach out to the poorest of the poor in our community. But even they, given their best shot, along with all the other people that have the gift of mercy, only touch maybe 8 to 10% of the people in need. Who's responsible for the rest? We are. God calls you and me to that. But it's real easy to miss the memo on this. Jamie has been teaching through on servant, servanthood. And he said, he said, there's a difference between serving and being a servant. And when Pastor Jamie said that, boy, that just really resonated with me because it is so true. Because it's real easy to compartmentalize uh, an, an attitude of servant service and you bring it out at certain occasions when you think, well, it lines up for you, it's convenient, whatever. And, and I'm not saying that when you bring it out, it isn't a good thing, but it's not... The way God meant for us to operate. For instance, you might be, uh, it might be your family tradition to feed the homeless on Thanksgiving. That's a wonderful thing to do. That's very nice. But you know, the homeless get hungry 365 days a year. You know that? So so the difference, that's an act of service. But a servant's heart towards the homeless would be you sign up for the rotation down there and you get down there on a regular basis and feed them. An act of service towards your kids might be that you rearrange your schedule when your kid's in junior high and you go on an overnight uh, field trip with them. And a, a servant attitude towards your child is that you put 20 years of your discretionary time up for grabs. You surrender your sleep. You hand over your money. You hand over your time for their best interest. That's the difference. And you see, what we don't want to be is followers of Jesus who compartmentalize the essence of His heart. We want to embody the essence of His heart, and when we do, incredible things happen. With that in mind, we want to look to His Word, and 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 and, and, in setting up that, let's ask God for help on that. Lord Jesus, Your Word is so quick and powerful, and it penetrates us, and we're so grateful for the leadership it gives us and the way it shows us how we can live in your power and your grace. But Lord, I pray that we will not only see what your word says today, but you will show us your heart in the word today. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, when it comes to grace, it's real easy to let grace be an event that saves you. I once was lost, now I'm found, I was blind, but now I see. But not let it transform you. It happens all the time among the Christian movement. We get saved, and then we still come back with the same old Issues, the same condescension, the same sense of privacy and selfishness and myopic attitudes. And God says, No, 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 no. This grace that I showed to you, I wanted to retrofit you and change everything in the way you go about what you do. I like to call it. The grace lens or the Jesus lens. What he wants to do is the same way that I was looking at you and reached out and and, and helped you and saved you. I want you now to drop that down in front of everybody you see and all the issues of life out there. And I want you to look at it through my gracious eyes. And that's the difference between compartmentalizing and embodying. So let's take a look at a great passage that that shows us how to do this. John chapter 9. Now, let me give you a quick overview. And I want to, by the way, I want to tell you that I just am so grateful, so grateful for all the wonderful thinkers who over the years have written their thoughts down in commentaries. And you can just sit and read and just go through John chapter nine and get every little nuance. And I'm especially appreciative of a young Bible teacher up in Flagstaff named Michael McDonald who unpacked this passage for me and, I'm, and, 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 and gave me structure for the outline that I'm going to share with you. He's a wonderful guy and I just love the young guns that God has bringing up. In, into uh, center stage. These young Bible teachers and thinkers like Kent and John Del that from our, from our own family here, and, and, and these people, I mean, I am so confident that they're going to eclipse anything that came out of my generation. So it, it, the, the, the church can be in very good hands, but right now, God, the church is in the hands of you and I, and God wants us to do something. Here's what happened. Okay, John chapter 9. I'm going to give you a quick flyover. Here's how... Disciples are going along with Jesus. They see a guy that was born blind, had congenital blindness. And the, and the, and the disciples ask a stupid question. Jesus uh, gives them a clear, uh, concise answer and kind of shows them where they're wrong in their thinking. Then he decides to heal this man in a very unique way that he'd never done on anybody else. This man comes back and everybody sees him. They can't believe it. And then they bring him to the Pharisees and they go nuts. And all hell breaks loose. Around the synagogue, and they try and intimidate his parents because they're just mad because this happened to happen on the Sabbath day. And then, uh, then they throw this guy out of the, the temple. That's the big story, and I, I really want to encourage you to read this story on your own. Go home this afternoon and read the whole chapter because we, we have to do a sampling of verses through it. And here's, uh, there, there's some lessons that we learn about everyday compassion from this. And that's what we want to be. Not compartmentalized compassion, but everyday compassion. Uh, Not one-offs, but an embodied attitude of Jesus' heart in the way we deal with people day-to-day and what we see when we look at the human plight. The first thing we learn from this is everyday compassion is rooted in a desire to bring glory to God. It's rooted in a desire to bring glory to God. Look at verse 1. As they passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, why did they ask this question? You might think, why, why would people ask a stupid question like that? Well, actually, there was scriptural reason for that. Exodus 20 says, The sins of the father return to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And we know that how parents live their lives and some of the choices they make, even, like, like for instance, if a mother is drinking a lot of alcohol while her baby's in, in, in her womb, it can cause a lot of physical problems for the child and so forth. Uh, drugs, uh, uh, uh in, in maybe if you have an angry life, it can have damage. Done. So that's one thing. And then the other thing was that there was a, there was a common assumption that, that many times calamity, physical calamity, was a result of consequences for a bad life. In Acts chapter 28, Paul was being uh, transported to Rome by the Roman Empire in a ship in order to stand trial. They had a storm, the ship wrecked on the island of Malta. He came ashore, everybody survived that, and they were were trying to make a fire to get warm, and he was gathering up some sticks, and a venomous snake grabbed onto his hand. And he shook it off into the fire. Well, everybody figured, well, that's consequences. In fact, in in verse 4 it says, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Well, then when he didn't swell up and die, they thought, well, he must be a god. So they just drew two wrong conclusions. They, they assumed one thing that was wrong, that he must be a murderer. He wasn't. Or that he must be a god because he didn't, didn't die. And people do this all the time. And people still do this. I know people, when, because we've, we've worked with people, that, that, that they get suddenly very sick and they think, God's getting even with me. He's, he's punishing me for such and such. That's not true. And here's what's interesting. These disciples had the book of Job. They knew the book was already written about a man who had incredible physical and emotional setbacks and his three friends all assumed it was because of his sin. And the whole point of the book was, no, it had nothing to do with sin. God does these things and he allows these things in our life because he can work through them and in them for his glory. And so God wants to use us coming alongside people in great need. You guys are late. It's about time you got here. Get your ears up and get to church. <laughs> My son and his friend. <laughs> so, so what happens is they, they, uh, God uses us to come alongside people's lives in great distress to show his heart of compassion, to help bring... Uh, uh, some help to their suffering. And, and, and in the process, we get to be emissaries of His grace, emissaries of His heart and His mercy. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may, what? See your good works and... What? Give glory to the Father, to your Father who is in heaven. So one of the best ways to show God's power and presence to other people is step over that threshold of inconvenience and sacrifice and do what is necessary to touch the lives of other people in need. And there's all kinds of people in need. I mean, we have bewildered people who have lost their way. They're confused. They didn't get much of a roadmap for life, maybe from the way they were raised. They need someone coming alongside them. We have broken people. And these are people, many times, they're physically or mentally challenged. They might be terminally ill. Or they might be just the wrong age. They're either real little or they're in the waning twilight years of their life where in this busy, hurried world of the mainstream population, people don't have time to notice their need. God calls us into the middle of those people's lives to give everyday compassion, a spirit of everyday compassion as we touch them. There are battered people, people who find themselves in crisis, too big for them to face and fix on their own. Maybe they're desperate, they're fleeing poverty they're, or political oppression, which, by the way, I just told you the theme of the bulk of the Old Testament heroes. That's, that's their story, too. But they're marginalized and criminalized by a frightening and hostile environment that they're in. Or, you know, there's a lot of poor people among us. And, and you say, well, yeah, but I, I'm struggling right now, too. Listen, there's a big difference between being broke and being poor. When I was in college, I was broke. Some of you are broke right now. The economy went south on you. Everything evaporated. But you're not poor. You're broke. What's the difference? Broke means I don't have any money, but I have skill sets, and I have intellect, and I have options and opportunities that I can pursue, and little by little, I can regain and I can also sustain. When you're poor, it means you don't have any money, and you don't have any options. And there's a lot of people, even in our community, that fall into that category. And, and then there's others, with lifestyle choices, alcohol, drugs, promiscuity, that put them in a really bad situation. And some Christians say, well, I'm not responsible to help those people. That's the consequences of their stupid mistakes. Why would I circumvent that? Actually, James, I don't want to be a name dropper, but Jesus' half-brother, James, said this. In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. James 5, 19 and 20. My brother, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. So, these are people that clearly need intervention. People in their life, they, they, they can't get beyond it. They need people like us to show patience and mercy and love and kindness for them. Everyday compassion. Let me give you one other type of person besides the, the bewildered, broken, and battered. And that's the bullied. There's a lot of people out there that are being bullied. People who are outnumbered, outgunned. They don't have a voice and they don't stand a chance. And many times they are, they are, they are, they are at the mercy of injustice. Either from, at a national level or in a, in, in a corporate level or in a community level, in a relationship level. And listen, when I see, when I, every time I, 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 I study a situation about a, a person that was bullied, I always see three people present at that situation. There's always the bully, obviously, the bully. Then the bullied person that's just getting overwhelmed. And then there's the bystanders. The people who are seeing this coming down know full well this isn't right, but they're worried about themselves. They're worried about their their own lives, their own reputations. They don't stick their their life out there on behalf of this poor person that's outgunned and outnumbered and, and doesn't stand a chance because they're thinking about themselves. Jesus did not save us for that lifestyle. He just didn't do that. He put it all on the cross because Satan was bullying you. And he jumped into that fight to save you. And he cannot allow, uh, he he cannot give us permission to say, yeah, but you know, this is really risky. Of course it's risky. But you have a God. And guess what? God has your back. He has your back. You got to trust him. But there's so many things like this that you see, and it's heart-wrenching to see the devastation done to people. And this blind man, was bewildered and broken and battered and ultimately bullied. Jesus came into the middle of it all with everyday compassion because it's rooted in bringing glory to God. And it doesn't matter how you show it, why you show it, whether or not anyone notices. The bottom line is that we have the power and the privilege to bring glory to God through our commitment to everyday compassion. It's not that we have to do this. It's that we get to do this. Let me show you another one. Everyday compassion takes the initiative to act. It takes the initiative to act. Look at verse 1 again. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, a lot of the people that Jesus healed, they heard that Jesus in the area and they start screaming out, you know, I've got leprosy, I can't walk, you know, I'm, I'm tormented, I can't see, help me. But at this one, this man didn't know Jesus was there. Jesus saw him and saw his need. And look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spat on the ground. He made mud with saliva, with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Now, this is the only time Jesus performed uh, a miracle of giving somebody sight this way. There's an, uh, most of the time, he just spoke it. And then there was one other time where he put uh, saliva on a guy's eyes, but this time he actually mixed up a potion with, with some dirt. And you say, what's that all about? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But let me give you probably the obvious one. is, is that God is saying, look, when I do wonderful things in your life, don't lock me into one method. I have unlimited options before me to come alongside of you. So don't, don't, don't box me in there because you might be surprised how, how wonderful things are. And also, if you have, we've all had sand in our eyes. What is that? It's an irritant. And what do you want to do when you get sand in your eyes? You want to wash it out. So he helped him obey him. <laughs> when he said, go wash in this pool, he had mud in his eyes. And he wanted to get it off. But when he came out, he came out seeing he came out seeing. And, and, and this is such a fabulous calling that we have. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, God rescued us he saved us. He set us free so that we can now go out and be his hand, his arms, his eyes, his, his voice, his heart to people who also are in need. Not just spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs, you name it. He has called us to that. He did not mean for this to be a compartment of our life. He meant it to be the essence of our transformed relationship with him. And when you don't allow that to happen, you miss all the fun. This is where the Christian life lights up for you that you 're not just saved but you 're transformed, and you start to look through the Jesus lens and the grace lens at everything around you, and you just start to see people the way God sees them, the way He sees you, and act accordingly you know there 's going to come a time it, late in jesus uh, uh, life earthly life before he was uh, went off to be uh, betrayed and crucified and rose rise from the dead he in matthew chapter 25 he gives a little discourse kind of a closing comments before this happened and 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 he talks about the judgment day someday he says you know there's going to come a day when i'm going to separate the sheep from the goats and i'm going to um i'm going to kind of give them what they they you know based on how they they responded on with my power, what's waiting for them? And, and he says uh, for the sheep, he, he said, look, I, I, I want to, you to enter into this wonderful rest here because, because look, I was, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And they're saying, what are you talking about? We didn't, when did that happen? We never saw you. And you know the punchline in Matthew twenty five forty. It says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So God wants us to step in and be that thing for all the people that we come in contact with. And obviously there's people in poverty around us and, and we're going to uh, kind of focus in on that. But there's a lot of people. They might have plenty of money in their bank, but nothing, no, 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 no resources in their heart. To face life, they might be. They might. You might be waking up next to them. It might be your spouse. It might be one of your children or grandchildren. It might be somebody you study with at school. Student, you got. We've got to be ready for this. Here's the why. Why this is so important? Because the default mode of preoccupied and self-conscious Christians is too often indifference. Now, let me say something here about it. whether it's evangelism. You name name off all the spiritual gifts: mercy, whatever we do not have permission to be indifferent about any of those. If you have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, you don't have permission to be indifferent about human need that you see. Now, you may not be able to act on every one of them, obviously, but you can't be indifferent to any of them. We, we, If we have God's heart, it's a tender heart. It's a compassionate heart. When we are indifferent... It leads to untold pain and heartache and contradicts the very heart of God. Edmund Burke was an Irishman who ultimately uh, gave a lot of voice to the British Empire. And he said this. He says, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We cannot afford to do nothing when we see the human need around us. And God calls us to that. To act, to take the initiative to act. Look at the third thing. Everyday compassion has a transforming impact on the people it touches. A transforming impact on the people it touches. Verse 8 The neighbors and those who had seen him as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is. Others said, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He, he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go wash, to, to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Why didn't he know? Because he never saw him. He never saw him. He heard him. He felt his touch. But he never saw him because he put mud in his eyes, sent him off. And when he could see, Jesus was gone. But look at the response of these people. It was a transforming impact. And that's the thing about everyday compassion. It brings glory to God because of the transform. It, it, re, it requires a transformed life to step over that, the, that, that line of inconvenience and sacrifice. And so people know that there's something going on in you that isn't in the standard person. And then when it touches a person, they are transformed by that too. Nobody tells stories about transformed lives better than Tony Campolo. He's he's a man that really talks about compassionate Christian living. And he tells the story of a teacher. He's a fourth-grade teacher named Miss Thompson... And she had a little boy named Teddy Stollard. And this boy was from a troubled home, and he just didn't respond well. Monosyllables, he didn't raise his hand, didn't participate. He was very slow. He was mopey. He didn't, he, he wasn't uh, uh, misbehaving, but he just wasn't fun to, to teach. And, and teachers say, they'll say to the class, I love you all equally, but that's really not true. The fact is, uh, teachers have... Favorites, And they also have kids that they just don't like. And Teddy Stoller was a kid she just didn't like. But she should have known better because she had his record. And in the first grade, it said that his, uh, he shows promise with his, work, with his work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, they find out that his mother is seriously ill. He could do better, but he receives little help. Third grade, he's a good boy, but too serious. He, he, he's a slow learner. His mother died in the third grade. Fourth grade, Teddy's very slow, but well-behaved his father shows no interest and so when he did something wrong she got kind of a perverse pleasure out of marking things wrong and putting Esther at the top of his page but christmas time came the kids brought their gifts for the teacher and they all put them on the on the on the desk for her and they gathered around to watch her open and there was one from teddy stoller and it was wrapped in brown paper with some scotch tape and its name to miss thompson from teddy and when she opened it out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the Cheap rhinestones gone, and some cheap a bottle of cheap perfume, and the kids all giggled and snickered. But she at least had the forethought to put on the bracelet and put some of the perfume on. Hold it up, doesn't it smell lovely? And the kids ooh, ah, and all that stuff played along with her. But when the kids all left, Petty lingered behind, and he came up to her and he said, "Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother, and and her bracelet looks real real pretty on you too. I'm, I'm glad you like my gifts." Well, he left and she just fell to her knees and begged God to forgive her for the way she had viewed this boy. And when they came back the next day for class, there was a new teacher waiting for him. And she was committed to being an ally and an asset to all of their success for, for even the slow kids and especially to Teddy Stollard. And she worked side by side with him so much so that he had caught up with most of the kids and even passed somebody in the, the year. And, and it was just, but then he took off on into the rest of his education. She didn't hear from him for a long time. And then she got a, a, a note from him. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stoller. Four years later, another note. Dear Ms. Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university's not been easy, but I liked it. Four years later. Dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. Miss Thompson went to that wedding and she sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. And she deserved to sit there because she had done something for him that he could never forget. And that's the, that's the power of everyday compassion. When we let God's heart change us and transform us to everybody we come in contact with. Even the people hardest to love. Did, did you know? Did you know? That there are 258 kids right now between the ages of 9 and 17 years old in the Arizona foster care system. 258 kids that have no families that want them. They're not little or cute anymore. They come with a lot of baggage that they didn't pack. I wonder, I just wonder how different their life would be if someone would just step forward with compassion, I wonder what transforming impact the act of compassion would have on them as well as on the people who knew them when they were young. Can you imagine what would happen if somebody comes alongside them and gives them hope and love and a, and a safe place to, to, to grow and helps them gives them boundaries for life and, and then somebody's saying that can 't be the same kid who was an orphan back when he was twelve years old, or they see him years later he 's in college and he 's doing well that can 't be him or, or, or here he is graduating who are those two people fawning over him or, or, or how could he be stepping up to the responsibility of being a dad so effectively when he never had one you see there are people out there that need our compassion and say, but we got to step across a line now you say but but not everybody of course not everybody is called to foster care or adoption but maybe you are maybe god has gifted you or even called you to that and you've got to understand, com- compassion is more than a calling. It's our calling card. It's the thing that validates God's transforming power in our life. And you can step up and do this. I want to put a website up there, Christian Family Care. This is an agency that our church has come alongside and been uh, team, team with and, 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 and supporting ever since it began. And they have a fabulous uh, ability to help people connect to children in need. With all the churches in the state, it just amazes me that there's no place for these 258 kids. In fact, I, I cannot believe, I feel that there shouldn't be a child in Arizona ever unclaimed with as many Christians as we have in this state. It just shouldn't be. Well, how's that going to change unless we all move from indifference on this to concern and, then God, and just start praying that God will raise up the people and sure enough they step forward. We can do that. Call Christian Family Care. Go to their website. You can look and learn a lot about them there. Let me give you another thing about everyday compassion. Not only does it bring glory and honor to God and take action and initiative, and and, and not only does it have a transforming impact, but everyday compassion values people over all else, even religious duty. Even religious duty. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisee the man who had formerly been blind, Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well, he put mud on my eyes and I washed it and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. And the guy saying, hello, I can see. I was blind from birth. Look, look, I can see. And they're starting to quibble over this. And, 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 and he didn't do it on the And the guy's thinking, are you kidding me? I just got absolutely saved from blindness that I could see. And you're worried about what day of the week it is? They sure were worried. And, 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 they, and they, they, they're actually acting like too many Christians act today. Others said... How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? He's thinking, sinner, I was blind. Look, I can see. And there was division among them. So they said, so they said uh, again to the blind man, what did you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's, I think he's a prophet. And then, I mean, all hell broke loose. It just became a brawl. And by the way, the the, the brawl fell into the the, the parents, too. They brought the parents in. They tried to get the parents to try and act like this kid wasn't really blind from birth or somehow uh, debunk this whole miracle that happened. Why? Because there are people who are in a position of power or they're in a position of comfort or they're in a position of control. And everyday compassion wrecks their M.O. It takes them, pulls them out. It, 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 it puts sometimes their power and their authority in question because it's not being done for God reasons, not being done for grace reasons, but being done for selfish reasons. These guys knew Leviticus 19. They'd memorized it. They knew better than to act this way. And yet they turned their back on him. I want to rattle off for you uh, some things here at this point. Five religious actions that stand in the way of compassion. Five religious actions. Let's just get the worst one out of the way because this is where I'm going to tick some of you off. First one is ignoring the obvious people in need by using spiritual justification. We have people in our midst. We have a national dilemma. A national dilemma that we all participated in creating. We have a national problem here that our government, our marketplace, and our consumers all played a part in creating. And yet when somebody steps forward and says, you know, we need to come up with a humane way to solve this. Here comes the loud voices. And they are vicious and they come at you and they, they say, no, no, no. I see these people as they don't belong here. They weren't invited here. We owe them nothing. Let's make life miserable for them. And then you know how they defend themselves? Romans 13. You all know what Romans 13 is? It talks about the rule of law, that God established laws and leaders, government leaders, and we're supposed to submit to them. So say, See, right there, Romans 13. Now, what's interesting about that is if you bring up the the issue of abortion, they don't go to Romans 13. They say, we need to change that law. You see, if you're going to scream and yell about the people in great need in our community, we we just need to punish them and and come down hard on them and whatever. And based on Romans 13, then I say, so you're pro-abortionist all of a sudden, huh? Because if it's rule of law, be consistent. Or recognize, for crying out loud, that some laws need to be altered and changed and, and tempered to align with God's heart. It's that simple. It doesn't mean that we're throwing, we're, we're throwing overboard our sovereignty or anything like that. It just means that we need to do this thing in line with God. And to prove my point, I want to read you the preamble to Romans 13. The words that Paul wrote to set up how these people who make the laws and the laws that they make should be tempered. And here's what he said. He says in verses 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe, leave leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is my job. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, look at this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that is not a curse. You're going to share your fire of warmth and cooking fire with them. So that they can be empowered to be able to feed themselves and stay warm themselves. That's what that meant. They would put that on there so they could go to their house and have their own fire. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I have some questions for people that think that I've lost my mind. My question is this. What are you first? Are you a citizen of a country first? Or are you a citizen of heaven first? Are you devoted to a political party first? Or are you devoted to the kingdom of God first? Are you inclined to let talk radio hosts and cable television pundits do your thinking for you first? Are you committed to letting God's Word and the Holy Spirit do your thinking for you? Are you resigned to let your fears, your anger, or your prejudices rule you first? Or are you willing to let the amazing grace of Jesus be the lens through which you view people in need? When it comes to how we treat the poor, the alien, and disenfranchised among us, we must listen demand laws and lawmakers that reflect the special place God has in his heart for desperate and hopeless people. We can still have laws that guard the sovereignty of our nation, but we must demand that they align with the gracious heart of God, or he will hold us accountable for this. We must also extend compassion to the ones who find themselves caught in the middle Listen, morally conservative people should have been leading the charge on this issue. Unfortunately, we've been the one that's been holding back and doing nothing and saying nothing. Or coming in on the wrong side with vengeance and anger. It does not align with God's heart. It is not his word. I was a teenager when the civil rights battle really came to a head. hundred years after the civil war was fought, there was still... Uh, uh, the black community that didn't even come close to getting the rights and the privileges and the honor that that war was fought over Here's what broke my heart out of all of it And that is how the evangelical church for the most part stayed silent on it Or when they weighed in they weighed in on the wrong side Dr. King Martin Luther King went with locked up in the Birmingham jail and he wrote letters to the white pastors in that community Begging for them to come to their aid. Looking at, just look at the Bible. It's obvious. Come help us. And they didn't step forward. And I want to tell you something. If you've never read uh, Dr. King's letters from the Birmingham show, you can go online and get them. Everybody should read those. But look what he said here. He said, this generation will have to repent, not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence of good people. we are called to let god's salvation transform our heart in line with who he is so that we can come out among our community and the people in desperate need and and be his be his love be his mercy and let me put some websites up if you want to get more involved in this There's the ministries in our town that are right in the front lines of this whole thing doing a great work there There's neighborhood ministries neighborhood Christian clinic the Phoenix rescue mission These are wonderful works going on there and they work with some of the most desperate people out there For Darcy and me the best thing we ever did in our life is we said we want to give We want to put a face on the poor and a name on the poor for our children We want to connect them so that they have a heart for the poor There are over 400 passages in the Bible about the poor, over a thousand verses combined that talks about how we're supposed to treat them. This is not something we can, any, any of us can be indifferent about. And in so doing, it changed everything. In fact, they found that the biggest game changer to raising kids that have a passion and heart for Jesus Christ, you know what it is? There's two things that parents are deliberate about trying to raise. They don't know what they're doing. They're trying, they, they make a lot of dumb mistakes, but they're deliberate. They don't, they don't Subcontracted out to the churches and schools. They do, they, they they try and raise godly kids. And secondly, they all serve. Everybody serves in the family. That's the two things they have in common. And 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 now, by the way, don't call up Kit Danley and 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 uh, say, hey, can I talk with you? I want to find out all about you. I mean, no, no, she's 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 after her eyes in the goo of broken people's lives, she doesn't have time for that. Everything you need is on their website. It's all right there. The whole story. Then figure out if God's calling you, where do you come alongside them? Well, there's a lot of other things that keep us from being what God wants us to be. Service and ministry done for selfish or wrong reasons. Prayer that is not back with actions. Preferring to limit our community to comfortable and encouraging Christian huddles. I cannot believe a bigger nightmare, a bigger waste of a Christian life than to surround myself in some kind of evangelical country club. This is not supposed to be a comfortable Christian life. We're supposed to live it out right there in the front in the power of God. That's where all the fun is. This is where you get to see God just do his amazing story over and over again. And then finally, church attendance with no intention of being any different. Church attendance with no no intention. Uh, Michael McDonald calls this evangelical bulimics. Where you take it all in. And then you go out and you purge it in the, in, in the parking lot and get back to where you were. There is absolutely no permission in the Bible for us to be this way. And in the process, when we do that, we miss all the fun, the excitement of letting Jesus be your life. Well, one final thing here. Everyday compassion doesn't ignore. It doesn't ignore the spiritual needs of people it touches. Look at this. Jesus heard that they had cast this man out. By the way, that's what they end up, they cast him out of the synagogue, meaning this is going to cost you economically, you can't work for anybody, we can't trade with you, people can't talk with you, you're excommunicated, you're shunned. They threw him out. And he came back, he started around, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in? remember, he hadn't seen him yet. He said, Jesus said, you have seen him, it's he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And the final part of his salvation took place there as he gave his heart to Jesus in worship. Here's the thing. There are a lot of noble, benevolent organizations out there that do good things for people. And I'm good for them, and that's great. But, you know, for Darcy, we found that if we're going to put our time and our money into organizations and efforts, we want them to be the ones that ultimately tell them this comes from Jesus Christ. This is about Jesus Because what good is it ultimately if somebody is fed and they're clothed and they're sheltered but they still end up in hell? They need the Lord. They need salvation too. Well, because of the nature of this talk, we focus quite a bit on the, the, the truly needy among us. But the fact is there's all kinds of people in need. And they might have all kinds of money in the bank, all kinds of pedigrees and resumes. In fact, Mother Teresa put it this way. She said, Being unwanted and unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than a person who has nothing to eat. Men and women, young folks out there, I want you to know God is calling you to be his hands, his heart, his arms, his voice. He wants us to look through that lens that he looks at you through. And he doesn't want us to do this in a compartment. He wants it to be embodied in the way we live our lives. And when we do, everything changes. All the joy and the excitement of living a front lines Christian life is right before you every day. And you get to be an emissary of his grace. You say, Tim, this all sounds well and good, but I have no clue what you're talking about because I've never received His grace. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you just wonder, How, what, what is the source of this grace? How, what do you mean by knowing Jesus personally? There are going to be people up here afterwards. Just stand in here. You come up and talk to anyone if you want to know the way to the cross so that you can have that grace yourself. Well, here's what I want to do. I want us to give it a chance to do something about... Everyday compassion, right now. The elders' fund is something we take up once a month because we have a lot of people that call in our church in great need, and we take and we come alongside them and help them financially. But we need a fund to do that, and so we're going to have the ushers come forward and we're going to take that up right now. But as we do that, I want you as the you know don't forget the thing when it goes by, help them out. But I also want you to watch Sawyer Brown uh, as he weighs in on this and this this very compelling song about how oftentimes we just don't understand. Ushers, come on up here while this song comes on. My friends, I realize that um, I've ticked some of you off. And um, please don't email the church and and scream and yell at Jamie about this. Let me make this easy for you. Uh, You want to yell at me, here's how you get a hold of me. Uh, Go and scream and yell all you want. Um, There are people that would prefer that we have a church that doesn't talk about issues that are so in front... That are so overwhelming and so close to God's heart because of the inflammatory, you know, stuff that surrounds them. But listen, I don't want to attend a sissy, comfortable church. I want a church that's going to let God's grace stand out in the front. So. You can go there. You can follow me on Twitter. Let, let's do this. These are those wonderful teenagers. Let's close this with a responsive reading. Will you all stand with me right now? You all stand. And then as we're leaving, they'll be singing for you. I'll read. You please read the bold part. Gracious God in Jesus Christ, you teach us to love our neighbors, but we build wall dividing walls of hostility. You show us how to love one another as sisters and brothers, but we hide ourselves from our own human family. You ask us to seek out the stranger and welcome the guests, but we lock ourselves up inside our own fear. You want us to share your abundant gifts with the poor, but we cling tightly to our positions and our privilege. You call us to proclaim good news to all people, but we waste our words and hide our light. Have mercy on us, loving God. Forgive our sin. Open our hearts and change our lives. Make us holy and whole one people and in individual faith. Whole, and love. God bless you all. Let's go be everyday compassionate people. Bye bye, you all.